Christ is risen. He is risen well, we can finally say hallelujah again. I mean, Jessica and her team pulled all the stops. You don't get the censers and the incense with a bunch of holiness people unless it's a big day. <laughs> right? So we, we know it's a big day. Thank you very much. I, I can still feel it in my, you know, olfactory whatever. So it's great. <laughs> How many of you believe the saying that about a day, about your life, that not all days are created equal. We all believe that all people are created equal, but are all days created equal? You know, I believe that there are so many examples in history and our own lives where we can realize that, in fact, all days are not created equal. In fact, I had this uh, experience on March the 1st, 1977, which profoundly drove this home to me. I uh, was a senior in high school at that time, just actually a few months from graduating from high school. And my favorite class was English literature with Mrs. Jan Bloom. She was fantastic. She was feared, but she was also fantastic. And we had apparently, I remember a big, some big assignment that was due that week or somewhere in that time period and uh, between then and graduation. So March the 1st, uh, I met with one of my fellow students in the class, uh, Jolie Nixon, to go over our summit after class. We spent some time uh, sharing each other's writing and just trying to help each other. She was a very good writer and a good, actually a good poet as well. So uh, we probably... Like, you know, it was a typical day of high school. It was no different than any other day, really. But that end of that day, we, uh, we finished, and about 4 o'clock, we had to go home. So we go out into the parking lot. We said goodbye. I went my direction to my house. She went home to her house. And about 10 minutes or less from when I said goodbye to her, she was dead. Had been hit by a car, a tragic accident with a drunk driver, and was killed instantly. And when that happened to me, I, and happened to our whole community, our whole school, of course, it was one of those moments that really shook you to your core. Especially as I was the last one to talk to her, just moments before. And looking back now, though I didn't see it at the time, I really see it now as a great means of grace in my life. Because God taught many and many people that day the brevity of life and the finality of death, the reality of death. And I think in some ways, it also gave me a fascination with graveyards. That's a strange thing, but I really enjoy going to graveyards. I, I don't want to stay there, by the way, just like to <laughs> visit. But I've been to a lot of graveyards, and it, it helps you think about people's lives. I mean, I, I've climbed up, uh, you know, Arlington Cemetery and seen the grave of John F. Kennedy and thought about his life. Uh, I have been down to Auburn Avenue and seen the, the grave of Martin Luther King Jr. and the one who had that amazing dream for not only the African-American people, but all of us, really, uh, now lies dead in the grave. I've been to uh, Mount Olivet in Baltimore, Maryland, and I have seen the, the grave of Francis Asbury, of course, about, of, of whom we're named after. Uh, right there next to him, by the way, is E. Stanley Jones, also one of our Famous, most famous graduates and great global Christian, and he is also silent in the grave. I've been to uh, Christ Church in Philadelphia. I've seen where Ben Franklin is buried, all the pennies on his grave. 
I thought about his life. I think about Paul Rivera in Boston. Uh, he's buried right there behind the Park Street Church. I've seen his grave many times. And Paul Revere, who once shouted, the British are coming, the British are coming, now lies dead in the grave. I've been to Wesley Chapel, and I've seen where the body of John Wesley is laid. And I think about the thousands of sermons that he preached and the way God used him. I've been to uh, Sarampore, India, and I remember walking out into the graveyard, and it was actually high grass, wasn't well cared for, and I found the grave of William Carey. I'll never forget what was written on that grave. A poor, helpless worm am I, on thy kind arms I fall. This man who put the Bible into 27 different languages now lies dead in the grave. I've been to Northfield, Massachusetts, and I have seen uh, the grave of D.L. Moody. Uh, what an amazing evangelist, certainly probably the greatest of the 19th century evangelist who was brought to the Lord in a shoe, st- shoe store and became this great evangelist. I've been up to the old South Church, uh, Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, just 15 minutes from where I used to live, uh, where the body of George Whitfield is, is buried. Uh, that, for many, many centuries, they had, or 100, over 100 years, they used to have part of his bones on top of his uh, crypt. So you'd go down and actually see or touch his bones. But at some point, someone said that was a little weird, and so now they replaced it with something even weirder, plastic bones. (laughs) But inside lies the body of George Whitfield. I've been to Westminster Abbey and seen the graves of Charles Dickens and Sirs Isaac Newton and Rudyard Kipling, and right in the main aisle, one of the great missionaries of all time, David Livingston, and so many others. I was at at the Vatican shortly after the burial of John Paul II, and I went down beneath St. Peter's and saw the burial site of John Paul II, one of the great popes of our time. And I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, just last just October, just a few months ago, uh, for the funeral of Billy Graham. And I saw where his body is laid there at the Billy Graham Library, a preacher of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is the story of all of us. It's the story of, it's the well-trodden path. So many men and women have fought great fights, dreamed great dreams, thought great thoughts, but none has proved more powerful than the grave. None has proved more powerful than death. And so when the women are making their way to the tomb, as Jessica read at the beginning of the service, as they're making their way to the tomb, they, they're not listening to, you know, that sermon. Uh, who was did the sermon? You know, Friday's here, but Sundays are coming. They're not listening to that. They don't know that sermon. They're not, they're not like, oh, you know, we can't wait. They're, tra- they're traveling that well-trodden path to see and anoint the dead body of their teacher. And it is the great singularity of the Christian faith, the great fact of the Christian faith, that they are met by the great surprise of the gospel when the angel says to them, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? Isn't that a great question? Why are you coming to a, the place of death looking for the Lord of life? Or as the Baptist pastor said to us on the sunrise service, why are you coming bringing burial spices to a resurrection party? Don't you know that he is the Lord of life? Don't you realize that the stone, the build rejected, has become the cornerstone? Don't you realize that he now holds the keys of death and hell? So this is the great turning point 
of the Christian faith. This is the great singular fact which defines us as Christians. In fact, Paul says in his text multiple times, if Christ has not been raised, if this gospel is not true, if Christ has not been raised, we should definitely all go home right now. Your exam should be canceled. Your papers should be forgotten. Go do something else with your life. But because Christ is raised from the dead, it infuses everything with meaning. Because this is, of course, the great defining fact of the Christian life. Paul, in verse 14, reminds us that if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, reminding us that all religions are not basically the same. We're not, it's, in the culture, religion is like, a, like a going to a food court in a mall. You come into the mall, you know, and someone says, hey, I'm going to go for Chinese. I'm going to go for, you know, Chick-fil-A or whatever. Unless it's Sunday, you can't go for Chick-fil-A. I'm going to go for this, I'm going to go for that. So they think religions like that. You know, you, you, you're, a, you're a Buddhist or you're a Muslim or you're a Christian based on your culture, your background, and your temperament. And in fact, Paul is telling us to know there is a singularity that happened in the gospel when Jesus Christ rose from the dead that makes our preaching global, makes our preaching worth for all of the human race. G.K. Chesterton was once asked, uh, what made... What makes Christianity unique among all the religions of the world? And his answer is so insightful. He says, all religions may be taught, but only Christianity can be proclaimed. What he meant by that is that all religions have morals and ethics and, and teaching, some of them exalted teaching. We don't, we don't question that. Many religions have great philosophical uh, meta-narratives. We don't question that. We understand that. Many of them have teachings that are moving, and many of them are true, things that are true about them. But Christianity is never, while it's never less than that, it's so much more than that. Christianity is ultimately not about just that. It's the proclamation of a person. Amen? You can say hallelujah now. It's all right. It's the proclamation that Jesus, of Jesus Christ as the risen Lord. That is what Easter is all about. It's about a person, what God did when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. When I was in China, I had the experience of uh, being hosted by the Chinese government when I taught English there, and the Chinese are a wonderful host, and they, were, uh, they took us to all the, many of the great sites of China, you know, the, the Three Gorges, the, the Tiananmen Square, uh, all the, a lot of the great sites, and we, of course, the Great Wall of China, we walked on the Great Wall of China, and I, one of the places we went was this huge, massive uh, temple there in Beijing. And we go down the central aisle of this temple, and there on the, on the main platform is this large, massive statue of the Buddha with a very large stomach. Have you ever seen that Buddha? I mean, in India, where I worked, the, the, the Buddhas there were very emaciated. You could actually count their ribs. By the time you get to China and Japan, the Buddha has taken on a lot of weight. And he's big. And it's a stunning factor. So we're there looking at this Buddha. And my, my guide and my translator, Chong Fei, she says to me, she said, you know, she said, do you know why the Buddha's stomach is so big? And I said, no, why? Why is it so big? And she said, well, when I was a little girl, I came into this very temple. I saw this very same Buddha. And I asked my parents this question, why is the Buddha's stomach so big? I've never seen a stomach so big. And she says to me, 
my parents told me the reason the Buddha's stomach is so big is so that he can contain all of our sins. Now, I'm sitting there in the presence of this Buddha and her, listening to this story, and then she says, without any further commentary from me, she says, but I never believed that a statue could hold my sins. And I said to her, I, said, I couldn't pass that opportunity. I said to her, Shang Fei, that's exactly the point. That's exactly the Christian point. No statue here or any other statue can hold your sins, my sin, or anybody else's. But Jesus Christ bore our sins, and he was raised from the dead, and he's at the right hand of the Father. This is the gospel. The reason the gospel is true is because Christ has been raised, and he's at the right hand of the Father. Muhammad said, I have recited the way. Buddha said, I have seen the way. Confucius said, I have taught the way. The Vedic mediators of Hinduism said, we have heard about the way. But Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus embodies in himself the way to God. He is our salvation. That's what Paul says, we proclaim him. We proclaim the risen Lord. Where is Confucius today? We can go to northeast China and see his grave there in China. Where is Muhammad? Muhammad's buried in Medina. You can go and visit his body. Uh, also, Buddha is buried. The ashes of Buddha are in the North, North India in a place called Sanchi. I've also, I've also been there. I've seen that. But there's no place you can go to find the remains of Jesus. There is no tomb for Jesus. There's a tomb for Alexander the Great. There's a tomb for Confucius. There's a, a tomb for Martin Luther King Jr. There's no tomb for Jesus Christ. Amen? This is the power of the gospel. Now, there are others who say, and say, wait, wait a minute. What really matters is not that so much, your religion, but that you have the experience of faith. As long as you have faith and you see your need for God, then God counts that uh, as acceptable. But what does Paul say in this passage over and over again? He talks about faith that is in vain. If Christ has been raised, your faith is in vain, verse 14. He says in verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. So Paul actually talks about here, sincerity is not enough to save you. Sincerity is a great thing. Sincerity is a wonderful thing. But sincerity by itself will not and cannot save you. Many people have sincere faith. I have never doubted the sincerity of many of our friends around the world who have rejected the gospel but have pursued other means. Many are very sincere. But sincere, even the experiences that we have before God are not enough if they're not rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If I had lived in the 7th century and I had, you know, uh, written down all the things that Muhammad did and the Quran had been written, the, the Islam could have arisen exactly as it is today. If I had lived in the 5th century B.C. and I had written down the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path and all of the insights of the, of the, the Buddha, the Dhammapada, Buddhism could have arisen just the way it is today. Because that by their, one of their famous Zen sayings, if you meet the Buddha on the road, you should kill him. They say that because what their point is is that Buddha doesn't matter. What matters is the teaching left behind, the Dharma he left behind. But that could never be said about Christianity. If I had lived in the first century and I had taught everything Christ taught, I had uttered the Sermon on the Mount, I had managed to 
get myself run afoul of the Roman authorities, get myself crucified between two thieves, there will be no Christianity. Because Christianity is about what God did in Jesus Christ. God stepping into our midst. God bearing our sins. God vindicating him by raising Christ from the dead. This is the good news of the gospel. And Paul says that this is the unfolding of his power and his grace. That's why the resurrection vindicates his claims. That's why Thomas can say, my Lord and my God, because he recognizes what God did in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, finally, today we are often told and asked if there's any real hope beyond the grave. We get this a lot. Maybe Christianity is really just an opiate for the people. Maybe it's just something that helps us cope with life. Like It's the ultimate coping mechanism. We get this a lot in the culture. Oh, well, it's fine for you if you're a Christian, if that helps you cope with life. But what does Paul say in verse 19? If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are to be pitied more than all men. Paul's whole point is, if, if you are a Christian because it helps you cope with this life, then you should abandon it. There's many, many, there are a lot better ways to cope with this life. The fact is, if you become a Christian, sometimes things get worse for you. A lot worse for you. A lot of times your life gets very disrupted. The gospel is a way of disrupting us, doesn't it? You, you have to know that. You're hidden in Wilmore, Kentucky. You wouldn't be here unless you've been disrupted. And God disrupted your life and he turned you from various ways and you end up in Wilmore, Kentucky. Okay, in itself is an amazing testament to the disruptive grace of God that comes because of the resurrection. So Paul, actually in this passage, the whole point of this passage is to say, we're not just remembering something that happened, not just looking back on something as a, you know, as a, a bomb in Gilead or something that we look, we look back to that helps us through life or cope. Paul is saying this is the very basis of our resurrection. In other words, our, oh, our whole hope is bound up in what God did in Jesus Christ. If Christ be not raised, then we're not raised. He is the aparche, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Paul is saying the whole Christian message is tied to the reality of Christ's resurrection. If Christ be not raised, we have no hope for resurrection. So Christ is the first resurrected man, and we are tied into that great, huge election that comes through Christ. We're now elected in him as the, as the chosen one in the gospel. I want to close with uh, this story because I believe that not all days are in fact the same. And I believe that in the history of the world, there is a single day that is the defining day in the history of the world. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the day, capital D. That's why even in Lent, even though they refrain from the hallelujahs, the church wouldn't even fast on Sundays in Lent because you can't fully stop the reality of this message. And when we were in India, Indians love films and movies. You think you love movies? You don't love them like Indians love movies. They love movies. They, they, they attend more movies in a given week or month than Americans do. In fact, India makes more movies than America does. Can you believe that? Uh, Bollywood is a huge industry. And so 
as you might expect, some Christians were not entirely happy with the Jesus film. The Jesus film is a wonderful thing. It's been used by God in a thousand ways. So this is not a Christian Jesus film. But if you know Indian film, you know, cinematography, it's not a proper Indian film. There's no dance scene, for example. How can you have a film without a dance scene? So somebody made a, a beautiful movie called Daya Sagar. It means the uh, ocean of mercy uh, on the life of Christ. It's an all Hindi movie. It's been actually put in Telugu in many different languages. And this movie uh, recounts life of Christ in the proper Indian way. So, for example, in Mark's Gospel, uh, where they have the you know, Herodias dancing for the head of John the Baptist, um, that's like 30 minutes of the film. Right? <laughs> the great dance scene. It's just done in the proper Indian way. All Indian actors, it's, it's fantastic. So anyway, I was in Orissa State, or I'm sorry, I was in Bhopal in this house. I was in Bhopal watching this movie with about 300 Hindus. And they had come in from a wide variety of, of uh, the surrounding area where we have ministry. And they had never, they had no background in the Christian message. See, one of the, one of the challenges that you have, and we, I, we all have, is that we know too much. We go into Holy Week knowing too much. And so we miss that original that power of the, these women making their way to the tomb. So they're in the, in the hallway showing the film. And the film goes through Life of Christ. And Bhopal was the place where they had in 1983 the tragic uh, gasoline leak or the, uh, the, the gas leak in Union Carbide that left uh, generations blinded there. So it was one of the highest uh, places of blindness in the, in the world is there in Bhopal. And, so when Jesus healed the blind Bartimaeus in the film, it, unbelievable sense in the room, the power of God, Christ, because hardly anybody there had someone in their family who wasn't blind. You had the, the, the Jesus healing the sick and teaching the, the, the Great Commission. In fact, when he runs out the money changers, oh, they're just they're delighted because they, they're so used to all the inter, inter religious enterprise that goes on in India. So finally, the time comes when Christ... He's arraigned before Pilate. He goes through the passion and the, the, the beating, horrible beating, and then he's crucified. And you can just sense in the room the, 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 the angst in the room as they watch this unfold. And then there's the climax of the, of the film, of, the, of that part of the film, where Jesus says, as you know well, because you know the story, where Jesus says, it is finished. And when he says it is finished, he hangs his head, and he dies. Now, the moment that Jesus said, it is finished, to my surprise, people, now, there's no chairs like this. This is the, on, the, on the floor. In India, you watch things like this on the floor. So when, the, when he said, it's finished, everyone began to get up to leave because they thought that it was over. The film was over. It was finished. And we'd say, no, 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 sit down, sit down. It's not over. They sat down and they watched the movie, the film unfold. They placed Christ in the tomb. And when Christ came out of the tomb as the risen Lord, they were so amazed. And again, that was my, another shock of the day. They stood up and they gave Jesus a standing ovation. <laughs> I learned from Hindus, if you really want to understand the power of the gospel, See it through the eye of a Hindu who only knows dead saviors, dead gods, dead goddesses. 
And our world is full of dead idols, isn't it? Our world is full of false gods, isn't it? At every turn, our culture bows down to yet another false deity. And they're all dead. There's no hope in those deities. And the gospel tells us of the only hope, which is in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Not all days are the same. There's that one day when Christ was raised from the dead. And it's that day that defines all other days. And that's why we can keep this feast. Thanks be to God. Amen.